But first, our mingle with tingle. The risks of uh, putting a brave new vision have been shown in the UK. And while we're not expecting anything like that here, Laura, it does show the risks a budget can create for a government. Lots of risks, Philip, um, and especially for Labor governments, just given that um, the coalition has been so effective over the years in entrenching this idea that, um, that they're the only ones who can manage the economy and that Labor is, um, you know, inherently dangerous. <laughs> and, um, I, I mean, I think this, it, this sort of uh, hovers over, over Labor consciousness. We saw that with... Um, Wayne Swan uh, back in the day when he was treasurer and um, you, you can see it in the way Jim Chalmers, I think, approached this budget very early on. I think there's this, there this real sense with this budget, even before the world economy started to go pear-shaped, they wanted to sort of establish the idea of Labor being responsible, not very flashy, you know, consolidating the budget, or you know, just being line by line, all this sort of language we've heard about, um, just doing all the housekeeping. Um, and, you know, he didn't have to have a budget now, um, but he's ha having one, he's setting it up to uh, have, I think, bigger discussions uh, next year about, about spending and about um, serious tax reform. I expect that's where it's going to go, but um, he's been trying to make a virtue of being dull, I think. OK. There's plenty of precedent, of course, for a, a treasurer saying that they can't afford the promises that have been made. Is that the path we'll go down? I don't think so, Philip. I think the government will deliver on uh, most of the promises it's made. I mean, there are uh, the coalition's saying, oh, well, it promised that energy prices would fall by a couple of hundred bucks. Now, that's that's sort of one of those promises that you can't actually sort of legislate or anything. Well, no, well, no you can't. <coughs> Excuse me, it's an aspiration. Uh, but I think in terms of any promises they've made about increased, you know, childcare assistance and things like that, those promises will be met and they're going to be met within the framework of arguing that these are things that will actually boost the pr product productivity of the economy by helping people uh, get, get back to work. So all of the spending that they're doing will be sort of framed in those terms uh, and I think the promises will be kept. So the government's very keen on sort of trying to re-establish, you know, the credibility of politicians who make very big promises. Is it a convention? Is it a convention to put out a revised budget so soon into a new government's term? Well, I don't know what the convention is particularly anymore, Philip. I mean, it's sort of... We, we seem to be having budgets at such odd times of the year. I mean, we had a budget in late March this year, which is sort of weird because of, we were having an election um, instead of May. Uh, now we're having an October budget. Um, I think uh, given the deteriorating state of uh, the world economy, there's an argument for doing it. And there's an argument for getting cracking on, you know, look, doing all of those housekeeping matters. But I was just thinking about it tonight, actually, that 
it seems like a long time since we had the, you know, if you look through your files of budget cliches used by journalists and let, let's let's um, just assert that they're fairly well thumbed, the old budget rabbit out of a hat. It's been a while since we've <laughs> heard that one. We, we, we don't have rabbits out of hats very often these days. It's a much more dull affair uh, because things have all been sort of, you know, we have all these crises instead of rabbits out of hats. So... Um, I think there is an argument for doing it, but um, it, is, it is going... I think the Treasurer is a bit hurt that I've suggested he's dull, but um, I think he's been working at it quite hard to be so dull. Any... Uh, well, I mentioned earlier the fuss in response to trust in the UK. Will the, the government be worried about the market response? Well, look, I don't think they will because the market response in the UK was really about unfunded tax cuts, which were just barking mad. I mean, there was, there was no design uh, credibility or, you know, elegance or anything to them. They were just... It was just crazy stuff. Um, it was unfunded. The, the, the big problem for the government is really about their tax cuts, um, well, the coalition's tax cuts, which Labor has endorsed, the, the famous Stage 3 tax cuts. Now, they're not going to come in for a couple of years and we clearly saw Jim Chalmers sort of uh, flying the kite a few weeks ago of saying, well, it's a cautionary tale from the UK. Without a doubt, the argument is building both in the community and from the government that these are not tax cuts that you can either justify or that make sense in the current fiscal times, if you if you like. So the the lesson from the UK is that I think if the government goes ahead with these tax cuts, brackets, which I don't think they will, um, that they will be marked down by the markets for doing so. Now, the government claims to have found $22 billion in savings that they can uh, redirect to new priorities. Under whose couch did they find the cash? Well, there's $22 billion of money, <laughs> but it's not all savings, Philip. It's about $10 billion, I think, which is... Uh, actual savings, and that's um, a lot of it's come from infrastructure. Uh, and th there are some projects which uh, the coalition announced. Um, the government says that they're pork barrelling. We haven't seen the full details of them, but there are some of them. Dodgy isn't the right word, but um, shall we say uh, under-documented. Under-documented, I think we'd, we'd say, Philip. Like there's, you know, they, they promised 400-odd million for some particular infrastructure project which had no, no uh, documentation about what would happen and it didn't have any sort of matching funding from the state government even though it was, you know, required to be an equally funded uh, scheme. So they found uh, about $10 billion of money that um, they, they say that they can cut much to the outrage of the nationals. Uh, but the, about $11 billion of it is uh, money which will be reprioritised, uh, that is, put to other projects or delayed. And the argument there is that some of these projects uh, are basically only adding to inflation because there simply aren't enough people to build the infrastructure projects and it's actually pushing up prices and, um, and creating sort of all these supply chain problems in the construction sector, which isn't helping anybody. Now, there will be money for childcare, aged care, NDIS? Uh, there will be. I mean, there's a few interesting questions here, Philip. The um, 
aged care, the, the government's got to make a provision on the presumption that uh, the aged care workforce will be paid more, um, which will obviously partly um, reflect in the aged care budget, but they've got to wait for the Fair Work Commission to actually hand down the decision. So there'll be allowances made in, in those areas. Um, I think the, the question of what they put into the NDIS is going to be really interesting given that um, Bill Shorten, who's the minister responsible for it, has announced a review of the NDIS and there are all sorts of you know, terrible problems in the NDIS. So how exactly they you know, hit a target for how much extra money they give it in the short term is going to be interesting as, as a thing to watch tomorrow night. Last week we saw Green Senator Lydia Thorpe's personal life in the, uh, in the spotlight. She was deputy leader in the Senate, but no more. She's not. She's um, she's uh, she. I think the the the. Uh, I don't know if I can't. It's it's been a few days. Well, I can't remember if she was technically pushed or whether she resigned. But uh, she she left, and I think a few issues have come up here. One of them is just the question of judgment about whether it's a really smart idea to hang around with an ex bikey, no matter what how good a friend he might be to you. Uh, particularly when you're sitting on a law enforcement committee that's getting briefings from um, the federal police about the activities of criminal gangs and bikies. Um, now, uh, Lydia Thorpe's friend uh, has no criminal conviction. Uh, he's no longer the head of whichever bikie organisation he was in, but it, there are a few things here. One of them is there's just the question of judgment about, you know, whether that's a really good idea when, um, particularly if you're a Green senator, you do spend your life attacking the lower standards of the major parties. Uh, and th there are questions, I think, which have alarmed colleagues across the parliament about whether sh she's, uh, you know, they're going back through all the briefings they had. She says that she's done nothing wrong, but she has referred, self-referred, as they say, she's asked... Um, the uh, Senate to uh, consider looking at her case uh, in the Privileges Committee. Um, now, uh, that process may play out. In the meantime, that means she doesn't comment on it. But the Law Enforcement Committee that she was sitting on has also been looking at this matter and it, it, it wants to know what she heard, you know, in these briefings and whether there are any questions of potential leaks of information as a result. It's, it's just not what... She, you know, she's a young firebrand senator who has, uh, you know, wants to make a really big mark and make a big uh, impact on the Indigenous affairs area, but y you don't need this sort of stuff uh, when you're trying to make that impact, and it's divided the Indigenous community itself. Well, some Indigenous leaders like uh, Marcia, Marcia yes. Langton, are calling for her to be stripped of her role as uh, Indigenous Affairs spokeswoman. Exactly. So that's that sort of... I mean, she's she's a she is a firebrand. She's a, a divisive figure, I think, in, in Victorian circles, um, you know, and uh, the fact that Marcia Langton's come out, I think, reflects that. Um, that's partly because of Lydia, uh, Lydia Thorpe's stand on The Voice, uh, which is um, you know, focused on different arms of uh, the Uluru Statement being uh, sort of pursued at different times, but also just clearly has rubbed up, 
rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. So, as I said, you just don't need this sort of stuff. And to appear to have taken, ignored the advice given by two members of your own staff who've alerted you to the risks of what you were doing, I mean, I think that also has fed into that uh, impression that she's been, you know, reckless in thinking about how she's approached this and what impact it might have. We've just had uh, our mingle with Tingle, the aura of Laura, Laura Tingle, of course, chief political correspondent at 7.30. G'day, potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and you're missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>